Um, the Tanya um, is a very structured book. Um, the first eight chapters, the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, uses to, for, for the most part, there's a few introductory remarks, but for the most part uses to outline and describe different aspects of our reality. Just kind of like we have the pieces. So it's like when you learn to play chess, right? someone has to tell you, this is a rook, this is how that move, piece moves, this is a queen, this is how this piece moves, right? You have to explain the, what, what are the individual components, okay? Um, and so we are introduced to the godly soul, the animal soul. We're introduced to what a mitzvah is, what Torah study is, what a sin is, what, um, what indulging in permitted pleasures is, what just regular daily life is, all from the perspective of um, Hasidic teaching. So we can have um, all of the concepts in place, but they're all being treated in a kind of a, uh, a sterile way. Like this is what this is in isolation. And then chapter nine, he describes how the animal soul and godly soul um, are in a conflict over the body. Okay? And the idea being is that um, ultimately the godly soul seeks to completely um, rule over every part of our life um, with absolute um, not, not absolute control, but on the other hand, that our lives are absolutely devoted to the godly soul's way of being. And that's because God is absolute, right? So an absolute God demands absolute devotion and there's nothing else that should be in the life of the person. And the animal soul is devoted to what? No, actually. In chapter nine, he says, the animal soul is devoted to obstructing the godly soul. Self is the means by which it does it. And this is going to be important when we get to chapter 11, that there is an asymmetry between the agendas of the animal soul and the godless soul. Yes? So I understand that the animal soul is dedicated to obstructing, but why would it be dedicated to Ah, that's good. That's good. Ah, that's a very good question. So would you like the simple answer or the complicated answer? You have to choose. Okay. Because you're only going to get one. Simple. Simple. The simple answer is because the animal soul is created by God with a purpose. And its purpose is to create obstacles and challenge for the godly soul so that the godly soul's service of God comes from a depth rather than something that is just an innate and natural thing. As we all know, the things that come from a depth in ourselves are much realer and truer and things that are more natural and more um, habitual have a shallowness to them. And so really the animal soul's purpose is not for itself at all. It's really a service of God. Um, but it doesn't, it can't let you know that because then it would undermine its purpose. That's the simple answer. That's what he says in the, in the end of the chapter, of chapter nine actually. Now there's a more complicated answer, but you didn't ask for it, so you won't know it. All right. Can you say the no. In life, you have to make decisions. No. 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 This is like this is like one of those. This is like. <laughs> so now what you're doing is like if I if I can tell you both answers, then you'll know that I have two different answers. That was clever. That's also like you can never empirically know whether you really have free will because like God, it tells you you have a choice, but you can't like go back and live that moment again to see if you could have chosen differently, right? 
So you just kind of have to believe God that you really have free will, right? Or your own innate sense of self. So you either have to believe me or your innate sense that I'm probably not lying to you. Life is full of hard choices. Okay. However, I just like to point out there is a questions and answers class. You can ask as many questions as you like. Ooh, that is good. So traditional Hasidic um, interpretation is no. However, there is a Hasidic discourse of the Rebbe where the Rebbe says yes. So if you look at many commentaries of Tanya, they give an analogy of how it's like one person who's hired by another person and they don't know their ultimate goal. Um, but there is a place actually in uh, one of the Rebbe's discourses where it says, since the whole idea is this actually is supposed to provide you encouragement, if on some level you couldn't really know for yourself that your animal soul is really not your enemy, it's really there to enable the godly soul to serve God in the depth, then it really would not, it really wouldn't give you that sense of encouragement. And so it has to be that on some level it is known. Now, could you reconcile the things, the, 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 kind of the traditional interpretation of what the Rebbe says in this discourse? You could. Um, one way to do that is that there are many things that we know about ourselves, but they're not self-evident. They're only knowable upon reflection. So it, can, so it feels unknowable kind of innately, but if a person um, reflects upon it, they can come to know it. And that might be a way of reconciling the traditional interpretation with the Rebbe's discourse, or it's possible to say that the traditional interpretation is wrong. Well, you know, that, that, that could be the case. Good? All right. So it's very important to understand that the animal soul and the godly soul should not be construed as just two different beings with two different agendas. You should really think of it as something and its negation, the godly soul and the negation of the godly soul, right? Part of the lie of the animal soul is that the animal soul kind of convinces us that its interest in self is like a genuine interest in self. And that the godly soul is indifferent to the self. Okay, so before we start the chapter, I actually want to talk about that because this, 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 there, there's a way in which you can make it that the godly soul is about to be devoted to God and the animal soul is all about, about self or ego, whichever word you like to use. And it's not that those, that way of framing it is, is wrong, like conceptually that that, that is correct, um, but it lends itself to misinterpretation, similar to something that the Rambam writes about God having characteristics. We spoke about before in a previous class about um, does God love you, right? Remember that? We discussed this. Mm-hmm. So if you go around telling people God doesn't love you because God is not a kind of being that feels love, what, what do people take from that? I'm not important. You're not important, right? God is indifferent, right? And it actually is more false than to go around telling people that God loves them. Because when you're telling people that God loves them, while literally what you're saying may not be accurate, the takeaway they take from that is actually more in line with the truth, right? Um, and so you run into a problem if you say, well, the godly soul is totally devoted to God and is the abnegation of self and the rejection of self and the transcendence over self and blah, 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 and the animal soul is all about self. Well, I'm person thinking, well, you know, I mean, I might not admit this in public, but I don't think I'm such a, like, myself is not such a bad thing. I don't know. The godly soul doesn't sound so, such a, like a nice guy to be around. The animal soul doesn't seem so bad. And so we might, you know, adopt our, our, our kind of, more noble sense of ourselves and say, yes, it's all about transcending self, but then in life, we don't actually 
live up to that because it doesn't resonate with us this, the, the, when you put it in that way. So the thing to realize is that's actually part of the lie. That's the, the, the way of putting it that the godly soul is all about God at the expense of self. And it's the animal soul that has, has your self-interest at heart. That itself is part of the lie of the animal soul. Okay? Um, and I would like to illustrate this with an analogy. Okay? Um, it's just cliche, but it, it, it does illustrate the point. Teenager has parents and peers. To the teenager, who seems to have the self-interest of the teenager at heart? Teenager's peers or teenager's parents? Years, right? My parents are always out to get me there, doing everything around. But the truth is, right? Parents. The parents. Right? Now, it's cliche and it's generic and we can always find exceptions, but right, that, that and, 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 and right, it takes a certain amount of maturing to realize that the parents were not really antagonistic to the child's well being. And the peers, you know, maybe not necessarily maliciously, often are encouraging the person the teenager to do things that are not really in their self-interest. Okay. So we have to ask a very simple question about God. Is God my enemy? Okay. So if God is not my enemy and the godly soul is devoted to God, then whatever transcendence of self means, it is not something that is a negation of me. It's not, it's not something that, that is, is a rejection of me. And if the animal soul's concern with my well-being, concern of myself, is really just the pretext, the front that it uses to oppose the, oppose the godly soul, then what does that mean about that notion of self? Is that really in my self-interest? Or is it actually, in other words, the animal soul creates a false sense of who we really are and then says, pursue that, and makes us feel that way. That's what's part of the instruction part is for us. Right, no, but I'm right, right, right. But but I'm saying the the, the, the message, not the reason for the message. The, the, oh, yeah, no. yeah. Right. So the animal soul is creating a sense. So you so it's very much like the peers and the and the parent, where where the way you hear the message gets 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 twisted. So if you add a word um, to this, it makes it a little a little bit clearer. If you add the word authentic, right? The, if I were to listen to my godly soul, live life with my godly soul, right, I would be acting in my authentic self-interests. But it doesn't necessarily feel that way. Right? And so the animal soul is giving me this sense of an inauthentic self, and that's what I do more directly experience. Okay? And... This goes back to, the, to something that we've spoken about a few times before, is that the whole approach of Hasidus requires a person to take things in a more mature way, right? Not just to rely on um, the way something feels, or even just classic notions of just right and wrong, okay? So, and, and this shows up later in Tanya, where the Altar Bakshi says the key to living a godly life is about what I want and what I don't want authentically, not what God decrees or doesn't decree. In other words, if, if, if it's going to be between what, what my animal soul says is what I want. My godly soul says what God wants. Well, who's going to win that battle? The animal soul will always win that battle. But if it's my godly soul says what I authentically want, and my animal soul is trying to lie to me, give me that folly I mentioned earlier, what I 
what make what I feel like I want, but I don't uh, deep down authentically want. Well, then if I can be in touch with that and acknowledge that, then the godly soul will will win. Okay, so it's it, it's very important to think of the animal soul as really just a a a antagonistic force to the godly soul than having a real agenda in its own right. Okay, and so while it may feel like the godly soul is for God and the animal soul is for me. That's not really what is going on in essence. Okay. So the godly soul wants the entire life of the person to be absolutely about God, which is actually what's good for the person. The animal soul wants that not to happen. Okay. So given that, there are two obvious possibilities in that conflict. One obvious possibility is the godly soul wins this conflict. The other obvious possibility is the animal soul wins that conflict. What do we call the person who the godly soul has won that conflict? The tzaddik. That's the tzaddik. They won. They've won the conflict. So, the simple answer... I'm going to give you two answers. The simple answer is... What? I want the other answer. I'll give you both. I didn't ask you. The simple answer is that there was a conflict. When we learned chapter 10, remember we discussed that when we spoke about how the person has to strengthen the godly soul or overpower the animal soul. So the, if you read the time straightforward, the person is not born a tzaddik. They have, to, they have to do work or they have to struggle and they become a tzaddik. Okay? They win that battle. The complicated answer is there are certain tzaddikim who are born tzaddikim. But nonetheless, there is still a conflict. It's a conflict in, in, in concept, even though it's not a conflict in practice. Um, I'll explain to you what I mean. Okay. Um, certain people are tempted to steal, but don't do so because they're afraid of getting caught. Right? Is that the majority of the human population or the minority of the human population? Minority? That's the minority. How do we know? Because the Torah tells us. <laughs> okay. Some people don't steal because they have no desire for things that don't rightfully belong to them. Is that the majority? Or is that the minority? That's the minority. The minority of people have no... Yes, the, 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 the Talmud says that people, as a general rule, desire stuff that doesn't belong to them. Mm-hmm. So now I have an interesting question. If I desire things that don't belong to me, why don't I steal them? It's not because I'm afraid of getting caught. Because we have morality. That's right. We have, a, we have a sense of morality. Our sense of morality, our sense of its wrongness, is so much, more, is so much clearer and stronger than our sense of than the desire that most people just don't feel conflicted. Most people don't feel like, ooh, maybe I should go into this person's unlocked car and take their, and, and, and take their pocketbook. Like, they, they don't really, like, the sense of morality is so vivid that they don't experience a conflict. But there is a conceptual conflict there because what were to happen if the desire were to strengthen sufficiently or the sense of morality were to weaken sufficiently, such as, for instance, an extreme circumstance, that very same person might then become conflicted about stealing, right? So now let's take the ultimate example of a tzaddik, Moshe Rabbeinu. Why did Moshe Rabbeinu not sin? 
that's certainly not the case, right? Just didn't occur to him. It, that's for sure it didn't occur, but why did it not occur to him? The sense of godliness was so powerful, it completely transformed the animal soul. Mm-hmm. And at when point did that transformation take place? When he was born. When he was born, as we, see, as we have actually in today's Torah reading. It says that when he was born, the house was filled with... It says his parents saw he was good. And um, the Rashi brings from the sages that it means the house was filled with light, the divine presence was with him. So, but now take away that intense godly soul. Right? The, the underlying um, groundwork to be a sinner was, is present because that just has to do with being a human being. It has to do with the animal soul. So which means there's still conceptual conflict. It's just one side is so overwhelmingly powerful so that the moment contact is made, that's the end of the conflict. So most tzaddikim, simple answers, they actually become tzaddikim, and so there was a conflict in it. And some tzaddikim, when we say there's no conflict, then there's no conflict in their experience, but there are two sides, and one completely um, conquered the other. It's just that that happened by their mere contact with each other, not through an actual engagement and back and forth. Good, so I gave you the simple and the complex answer. All right. We still haven't proven that the, to, the, to the other question there's the two answers. Okay. All right. Good? So now we can start the chapter. Okay. One is the opposite of the other. This is a verse from Ecclesiastes. Okay. Now, the, the, the actual verse reads in full. Um, one is oppo- one, um, one opposite the other one opposite the other, God has made. So God has made one thing opposite the other. Now, does the chapter conclude the God has made part of this verse? It doesn't include that, right? It just has this opposing this. Okay? One is opposite the other. It doesn't say the, that the two opposites are made by God. Now, you don't have a full book in front of you, but chapter six also starts with the same verse. Chapter six starts off with saying, one is opposite the other, was made by God. So, and the reason is because in chapter six is where the Alter Rebbe introduces us to the concept of the side of unholiness, klipa sitrachra, as we've discussed previously. There's holiness and then there's unholiness. Who made it that there's unholiness? Hashem. So the contrast is between the side of holiness, the side of unholiness, that's God's doing. Chapter 11, though, is the contrast between the Russia and the tzaddik. It's going to be a little more specific, and we'll get to that in a moment. But did God make it that there's tzaddikim and that there's rishayim? There's, did God, is God responsible for that? Who decides whether or not you're a wicked person? Yourself. Yeah, that's right. So... If I'm talking about the existence of evil versus the existence of good, the existence of holiness versus the existence of unholiness, that's God's doing. But the fact that there are people, Jews, that their animal soul has defeated the godly soul, well, that's not God's doing. That is their doing. And so while it has the flavor of this opposing this, like that, that symmetry that God has made, it is not actually God's doing, it's our own doing. So we dropped that part out. This is very important Right? That we have to differentiate between evil as a choice of a person versus evil as something that's created by God. All right? Okay, now, 
What is opposite the other? The wicked man who prospers is antithetical to the righteous man who suffers. Okay. So we have to do some review. Um, and we have markers. Markers are good. In the men's program, they bought a bunch of multicolored marker sets. And I took one. And I hit it. And then I, you take it out from my class and put it back. <laughs> so I have a full set of markers. It's the first time in over a decade of teaching that I have a full set of markers that I could take out. You took it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I didn't take it out of the yeshiva. It's still in the yeshiva. It's just in a hiding place. Unlike the other teachers who hide their markers in places where the Bacham know. So. Okay, just quick question. Is everyone okay if I write in Hebrew? Um, no. No. Write everything in English? No. Just there's more letters we write in English. Okay. So first up, we're going to use colors. Red will represent the animal soul. Because red in Judaism is associated with sin. Also, the animal soul lives in the blood, which is red. The oxygenated blood, which is red. The green will represent the godly soul. Why? Mm -hmm. Well, actually, the reason is because like red and green are nice contrast colors, unless you're colorblind, in which case they're not. Is anyone here colorblind? Because <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, you know, red, like green, like kind of thing. Stop, go. That's the main reason for picking green. Um, we can come up with some other symbolism, too, but that was just time. So, okay. So we have a term, okay, and that term is called tzaddik. Okay, what does tzaddik mean? You make this very simple. So who won the battle? Who won this conflict? Godly soul. Godly soul won. So I don't have to keep writing godly soul and animal soul. And who lost? Yeah. Animal soul. Now, you can't win something unless the other side loses, right? Right. That make sense? Okay. Okay. But how many types of tzaddik do we have? There are two types of tzaddik, right? What are the two types of tzaddik? We have complete. I'm going to put complete, right? Did I spell that right? Yeah. Incomplete. Okay. Okay. Now. The phrase, actually, I'm going to put this down. The phrase complete and incomplete is actually referring to which soul? The animal soul or the godly soul? The animal soul. Nope. Oh, yeah, the godly soul. The godly soul. Because, right, because what allows the tzaddik to win is the tzaddik's complete, complete love, right? So, the love here is complete, right? Whereas here, it's the godless as well as love is 
incomplete, right? Also, parenthetically, take should, right? Mm -hmm. That was important, right? Okay. But then we had another term, which was. But isn't it the other way around? Isn't it if you're, if you're, and also completely transformed and no, it's the love. The tzaddik wins because of his love. Now, if his love is complete, he's called a complete tzaddik. If his love is incomplete, but still enough for him to win, he's called a incomplete tzaddik. But the terms complete and incomplete are making reference to the love of the godly soul, which is what allows him to win. But we have another term, which was... Um, so the translator used the term suffers and prospers, which makes sense in the context of the original source, but I'm going to use, use slightly different terms. Um, I'm going to use the term has good and has bad. Now the terms has bad can actually mean bad, that bad stuff happens to you, i.e. you suffer, but also mean you have bad within yourself. Okay? Having good can mean that good stuff happens to you, or it also can mean that... Okay. So now, what does it mean that we have a tzaddik who has good? Well, what happened to the animal soul? How did it lose? It was transformed. Now, why was it transformed? That's right. The complete love transformed the animal soul. Now, what happens with the incomplete side? Because incomplete love is not successful in transforming the animal soul. So in what sense is the animal soul lost? In what sense is the animal soul lost? It hasn't been transformed into good. It has been subdued, subjugated, right? So the love is strong enough to subjugate the animal soul, but not enough to transform it. And we discussed the dynamics that is actually the medium the love actually has uh, that uses is the hate and whatever not really talk about. Okay? So when we say there's a tzaddik who suffers, we mean that the animal soul has lost by being subjugated, right? That's the, we're focusing now on how the animal soul is subjugated to the god of the soul. Okay, so now let's look, read that sentence again. One opposite the other, the wicked man who prospers is antithetical to the righteous man who suffers. Well, the right, right now, now take out the word who prospers and replace that with who has good and suffers with who has bad. So the righteous man who has bad meaning, that's a reference to the fact that the animal soul has been subjugated. subjugated. So what does it mean a wicked man who prospers? A what wicked man who prospers, what would that mean? Really? Well, let's see if we can make a parallel. So we have a Russia. Now, a Russia is going to be, who wins the war with the Russia? The animal soul won. Which means he has complete... Wait, 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 wait. 
Godly souls lost by being subjugated. Okay, that's what we're saying. This turn, this person, the Russia, who has good, is describing someone whose animal soul has whose godly soul is lost, but in what manner of losing? Of being subjugated. Therefore, it is the Parallel, the inverse of the tzaddik who has bad, as we're describing how the animal soul has been subjugated. Right? You see that that that's the parallel. Now, there's a lot more room to describe the things in Russia. In fact, I'll put them on the board right now. You also have the Russia who has bad. Now, so apparently there's something worse than the godly soul being subjugated. You could lose in a deeper way. No, you can't. The godless soul could ever be transformed into evil, so something else I'd have to go there. Right? Okay. Um, Ran away. Very good. That's what we're going to see later on. Is that. This is not going to parallel this. There's not a parallel there, because the animal soul can actually be transformed. The godly soul, the worst thing that can happen is it can vanish. But both souls can be subjugated to each other. So there, there's a parallel. Right? So it's specifically that Tzadik, who has bad, is paralleled by the Russian, who has good. The good, he's, the godly soul is lost, but it's still there. It's just subjugated. But they're having good. Okay. Um, and then the terms complete and incomplete will refer to what? Something to do with the animal soul, right? Well, remember what we said about the animal soul? What is the animal soul really about? It's undermining the godly soul, right? So, has the animal soul. Sorry, I wrote that wrong.
Okay. In some sense, the animal soul here is incomplete. Why is it incomplete? Because there's still some presence of the godly soul. Whereas here, it's complete because the godly soul has vanished, right? So we're talking about complete or incomplete. We're talking about Right. We're talking about um, the Rejection the godly soul, the animal soul has towards God. Is it, is it, if it's an incomplete rejection, it's like you can be there as long as you're subdued to me, you're subjugated to me. It's, a, it's still one, but it's, not a, it's, but it's not a complete rejection. Right? Right? There's a difference between subduing your enemy and trying to exterminate them. Right? So, where do we see the parallel? We see the parallel between this Russia in the sense that his godly soul is subjugated to this side in the sense that his animal soul is subjugated, right? But the, but the causes are really different. Those are not the same, right? This is the love is so overwhelming. This is that there's, there's, a, there's a, you know, I mean, there's questions like, well, what's going on over here? I guess that's that has any difference. Um, and when you get to, to this Russia, the Russia has bad or complete Russia, that's nothing parallel. I mean, because this one has vanished, this one's been transformed, right? This one has turned the enemy into a friend. This one has gotten his enemy to disappear. So very different, right? Does that make sense? Rejects what? God. Just like rejection of the godly soul. And right, right, right. In other words, the godly soul has a love for God. In contrast, the animal soul has a rejection. rejection of God. But is the rejection of God complete? No. It's just enough of a rejection of God to do what to the animals, to the, do what to the godly soul? Subjugate. Subjugate it. Okay, now, this is not actually in this chapter explicitly, but I want to talk about it now, which is what you said. It will appear that what's happening here is that the animal soul one, because it was stronger. And here the godly soul won because it was stronger, right? That's kind of a fight, and who wins? Is that always true, the stronger side always wins a fight? No. Give me an example where the stronger side will not win a fight. What? Well, the stronger side won. That's quite explicit. Yeah, but that wasn't the battle, right? That's what that's what David says. He's quite clear. He's like, you come with your stick, you come with your sword, and I come with the name of God, and we'll see who's stronger. The name of God is stronger than a sword. Right? That that was that that's actually the, the conflict, right? The conflict there is, right? Why does David get involved? He gets involved because he's cur- because uh, because uh, Goliath is cursing God. This is what no one's going to defend God. He says, I come with the name of God. You come with the sword. We'll see who wins. Right, Goliath says you're coming with a sling. I'm not coming with a sling. I'm coming. I'm coming with a sling of shepherds. I'm not coming with the name of God. So the, the stronger side won there. Like, that, there. There's a secular uh, kind of version of the story, right, where the, the the David and Goliath with the young, but that's actually not really 
in Jewish tradition, the story. The story is how spirit is stronger than matter, mm. not how the weak can nonetheless overcome. Yeah. But what would be an example where you have stronger? By the way, use the same story. How come it took David Amela, who wasn't king then? How come it took to defeat Goliath? How come no one else did? I mean, anybody could have done that, really. Right? Because he was used to these situations when he was working with sheep, right? He was used to dealing with predators. So he was like, had a different perspective? No. How did he win? He's willing to stand up for the name of God. What about all the other Jews? They keep hearing it. There's a context there, right? The, every day, Goliath comes out and starts cursing God, right? And every day, what do the Jews do? They cower in fear. And then David says, like, well, no one's going no to come and stand up in the defense of God. Grace and intelligence. It doesn't say that in the scripture. It says one thing. Yeah. So anybody else would say, you know what? I'm not going to let him bad enough God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand up for God's honor. Then what would have happened? So they, left him they let Goliath win. This is very important. The stronger side can lose if they let the weaker side win. Because they didn't have enough faith? That's right. The stronger side will lose if they, if they, if they let the weaker side win. Now, in the context of, of, of David and Goliath, the story is that Goliath is coming with the strength of arms, and David says, Jews have the name of God. This is not a, it's like, of course we're going to win. But you need to, you need to, be, you need to be willing to, to have faith in the name of God. You need to be willing to, to, to stand up for the name of God. And nobody was willing to do it. They cowered in fear. Does that make sense? In other words, when, 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 if, if, I am, if I have the ability to defeat my enemy, but I'm not willing to use that ability, I'm afraid to use my ability, then I'm going to lose. In that context, because that because there the battle was between 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 being between what can weapons do versus what can God do, and so how do you show what God can do is by having faith in God and standing up for His honor, which was something David was willing to do and no one else was willing to do. So how can you apply that to the Okay, so now what would happen if you put the godly soul and the animal soul in a head-to-head fight and each one put their best? Who would win? The godly soul. The godly soul would win. Because the godly soul is godly. <laughs> but before you said that the animal soul is stronger and the godly soul has to use tactics and has to be smarter to overcome the mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why? I'm not contradicting myself. <laughs> because I was describing the way it actually plays out in our experience, not the way it is in absolute truth. In absolute truth, if you had a full-fledged head-to-head match, it's a no contest. That's why we compare them to light and darkness. What happens if light has a conflict with darkness? You wanted, yeah, like, it's, it's, right. you want an example of what would happen if the godly soul just comes guns blazing, not in any way taking into account the animal soul and just, this is who I am. You end up with a Moshe Rebbein. That's what Moshe, that's what happened. Moshe Rebbein's soul comes into the boom. 
perfect sadaka on contact. Okay, fine, right? But so how is it that you ever have a rasha? It's not because the animal soul actually is stronger. Right, well, specifically, faith and trust are not going to be good enough. In this, we need a different weapon. What's the weapon the godly soul uses primarily? Love. Well, here's the thing. If you don't work on loving God as much as you could, then by default, who will feel stronger? In other words, like this. Here, the godly soul loves God completely. Here, the godly soul loves God incomplete, but enough to subjugate the animal soul. What's going on with the godly soul's love over here with the Russia? It's being subjugated. Mm, subjugated is the consequence. It doesn't. The godly soul doesn't love God enough. No, no. It, this is this is the is the God, is, is is the love is something you actually have to bring about. Remember, we spoke about the we spoke about the tzaddik in the previous chapter. We spoke about how the tzaddik has to make that happen. What if what if your godly soul doesn't make the love happen? Doesn't actually bring the love to bear? Well, then what happens is the rejection of God that's innate to the animal soul starts to feel very powerful. And that could be powerful enough to end up doing what to the godly soul? Subjugated, or even so powerful that what does it do? It causes the godly soul to disappear. But the actual underlying cause, and this is gonna be the, this is gonna be the, the underlying cause of what's gonna happen here is not because the animal soul is so strong in its rejection of God. It's because of how much the godly soul abdicates developing a powerful love of God. So if I were to make a little cause thing, okay, I would say it works. There's, there's a, there's a, it works like this. Okay. Here you have the love of the godly soul causes. Feet of the animal soul. Just one second. Godly soul loves God sufficiently. What does that do to the animal soul? Defeats it. Over here, it's not like that. There's a lack of love of the godly soul. And what that allows is a strengthening. the animal soul, which then causes the defeat of the godly soul. So at the end of the day, it's not really a contest that like one is fighting the other and the animal soul overpowers. That's not what's happening. It comes down to whether or not there is love or there is a... The lack of love is not the defeat. The lack of love is they're not willing to fight the battle and then the weaker opponent mm. overpowers the stronger opponent and then the stronger opponent is defeated. 
to clarify what we're saying is like it's not love and lack of love it's like what your focus is if they're focusing on like you said strengthening love well no because we're gonna have a middle category this is actually just a, this is actually a lack we're gonna have a category where you don't have enough love to defeat Where's the love coming from, though? Is it like just a tzaddik has it in name? You know, no, you have to work on it. You have right, to work on it. That was the beginning of chapter right. 10. We spoke about how the tzaddik right. works on developing that love. Okay. And he develops that love to such a strong point that defeats the animal soul. Right. And the rasha, what, how, does the animal soul, how does the animal soul win? It doesn't really win. It's the godly soul doesn't really put up a fight. It doesn't develop the love. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't develop love, then the rejection of God, which is really the, the core of what the animal soul is trying to do, that gets stronger and stronger, in, relatively speaking, and then the godly soul gets either subjugated or ultimately might just vanish entirely. So it really centers on this one point, which is... Zodic, what I'm seeing is using its free will to develop its love. And the rush is using his free will? To ignore that obstruct. Not so. To reject. No. Okay. You had it just... Here. The tide is using his field to develop his love. And what is the Russian doing his free will to do? To not, to not develop the love. Right. It's, it's just neglect. It's, not it's neglect. neglect. In other words, it's, it's, it's neglect. The Russia happens by neglect. Wow. The animal soul is not powerful enough to make a person a Russia. That is the point. And as we go through the chapter, I'm saying this now because you'll see that chapter 11 will go smoother if you appreciate this point, and chapter 12 will be clearer as well. Okay? The parallel is in the fact that the, is specifically in the fact that the soul has been subjugated. That's where the parallel lies. Everything else about these are very different. The one parallel we can see is that here we have a soul that's lost by being subjugated. The method of its defeat is a method that has been subjugated. And here we have a soul that has been subjugated. Those parallel each other. But how did the godly soul get subjugated and what it means to be subjugated is going to be very different. Mm. And the total defeat looks very different than this total defeat. And this defeat happens because of a lack of fighting, a lack of putting in the effort. This, not, not because the enemy is stronger than you. It's like just the giving up. That's right. Which is why later on in time, the author is going to be such a big deal about optimism and joy. Huh. Because if you're not in an optimistic and joyous state of mind, then it doesn't matter. You're can, you cannot develop a love of God. You can't maintain a love of God. What does it mean the godly soul vanishes? When we get there in the chapter of it. I, mean, I, the, I wanted to just, like, just give you guys a framework rather than like... If, I, if we did each piece and I flesh it out on its own, then I think that it's hard to put the picture together. So I want to put the, kind of give you like the outline. The rubric, and then as we go through the chapter, things will be fit. So the first thing he wants to do is point out that these two have a parallel in the fact that one soul has been subjugated by the other. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to point out that and that alone is the parallel. Yeah. How can you say if a godly soul is like a portion of God, how can you say that it has a lack of love of God if God's infinite? And so it, it seems like you could put a constraint on how much it loves God. Like it's infinite. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, what does it mean that it's a part of God? Well, okay, it's so not a part. So you said God doesn't have parts. So, but like whatever. What well, has to mean something, right? Because okay. if you're using something, the premise of your question, we have to know what it is, and then we'll see if it. Right? What does it mean? What? A son and a father. A son and a father, right? A son and a father means that the nature of their essential being is the same, right? 
That's in the sense that it's right. In other words, the godly soul is a innately godly being, hence it can't be transformed into evil. Okay, can sons reject their fathers? Yes. <laughs> in other words, in other words, in other words, it's actually the, in other words, you you actually have an expression that the godly soul is a piece of God, as opposed to the Torah is the light of God. And the difference between that is is that the light is always a reflection; it's always a expression of the source. Whereas the idea is you, is you use a fire. If God would be a fire, the Torah would be like the light that radiates off the fire. Um, what would a, what would the godly soul be? It'd be like a spark. But a spark goes out, it's separate, it can go out. Right? It's, a, it, it, it's the same thing in essence, but it's also it's, its own entity. And so the godly soul in, has an innate basis for love, and that can come out, and the doctor will discuss that later on. But in practice, there's not a, there's not a, a necessarily an, an, an experience of love being had by the godly soul. There's just a basis for it. Just like a, a son, in some essential level, there's a basis for for loving their father. So we might say that son deep down always loves their father, but it's a deep down kind of thing which a person can live 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years of their life completely um, d- disconnected from. And same thing with the godly soul. So if I now say, does the godly soul have infinite love of Hashem? Sure, in potential. But in practice, it could be lacking enough love to overpower the rejection of God that the animal soul brings into the life of the person. Now that again doesn't come overtly as I reject God per se necessarily. It can just be a preoccupation with, you know, an inauthentic version of yourself. But good? Okay. That is to say, we finished a sentence. <laughs> Chapter eleven actually goes faster. A it's shorter and B it, 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 a lot of the work is set up from stuff we did in chapter 10 and it's stuff that we're more innately familiar with, unfortunately, as we'll see. That is to say, the goodness that is in his divine soul, which is in his brain in the right part of his heart, is subservient to and nullified by the evil cleaver that is in the left part. This, too, is subdivided into myriads of degrees which differ in respect to the extent and manner of revocation and subservience of the good to the bad, God forbid. Okay? So, now, similarly to what he said, that subjugation has degrees to it. And then we spoke about how the incomplete tzaddik, whose animal soul is only subjugated to the godly soul, there's different levels of that because they're more or less subjugated in different ways. Okay. Um, there's going to be also here more or less subjugated, but in different ways. Okay. Now, at this point, I would like to remind us what is the test I can use to see if the animal soul has been subjugated? I want to look inside myself. What would I try to see as a test, as a diagnostic tool to figure out if my animal soul has been subjugated? No, no, because let's think about real conflict, yeah? Is there a big space between um, one side subjugating versus the other side subjugating? There's like, like, for instance, like, let's say you're having an argument with a person, right? 
At what point could you say you have really subjugated, you've dominated the person in that argument? Like, when they back off. What? Mm-hmm. When they back off, when they're quiet, right? When they don't respond, mm-hmm. right? They just, they forfeit. Until that point, you haven't really won, right? You have to look for this notion of forfeiture. So, well, what it means that, what does it mean that my animal soul is forfeited? Nope, nope, nope. Because think about it going to an argument. You can have an argument with someone, they can be willing to hear where your point is. That doesn't mean they've forfeited the, the, the argument. They're, 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 yeah. That's the thing, the back and forth, you know, it, you go use the, the, the war analogy, right? Victory is achieved when the other side surrenders, not when you take some ground and they, they you know, they, 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 they recuperate over here or, like there's, 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 there's all sorts of things that you could seem to be making progress. That doesn't mean that you've actually subjugated the opponent. What about if you say, Hashem, I want to do what you want and I want the strength to do it. And... Nah, good yeah. enough. That just means that your godly soul is coming out and that's very nice and it's, you know, hopefully it's your godly soul. Well. Well, if your animal soul is quiet, your animal soul is quiet. So if the animal soul, does your animal soul give you any sense of desiring anything other than God? Do you have any sort of attachments, desires of anything other than God? If the answer is yes, then clearly your animal soul is still quite voicing its opinion about things, right? Mm. Right? This is why the tzaddik seemed so unrelatable to us. Because it seemed very hard. Like, how do you get to a point that like, I just don't actually desire anything other than God, right? That would be the subjugation of the animal soul. Now, that itself could have degrees, okay? But, the, but the, 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 any subjugation of the animal soul to the godly soul means that, because remember, what is the godly soul's agenda? That the person's life is absolutely about God. Well, that means that there's no room for the animal soul to voice a any sort of desire or instinct or perspective that is ungodly. So if the person has that in their inner experience, their inner life, their animal soul is not subjugated. Now, it might be contained, which is nice, but it's not subjugated. I guess they just don't have that experience. Yes. There are not so many tzaddikim. The Medrash says that God saw that they were few and so he sprinkled them out throughout history. A little here, a little there. So now let's think this through. What would it mean though for my godly soul to be subjugated? The idea of God is repulsive? No. It's just not there. You have to go back now to where I started the class. I started the class that there's something that is not the same about the godly soul and the animal soul. What is the godly soul's agenda? What is it? God. God is absolute, so it's just all about God, right? What's the animal soul's agenda? What? To obstruct, to interfere, right? Okay. Let's use a physical analogy. Remember in high school chemistry, you had to use distilled water for certain things? Okay. So what's distilled water? They boil the water and collect the steam and turn it back into water. And why would you do that? To remove anything that's 
right? Pure right. You just so you just have pure water, right? So distilled water is just a way of saying pure water. Okay. So if you have something that requires pure water, what do you need to do in order to mess that up? Anything that isn't water. How much? Any amount of anything that isn't water already has messed the whole thing up, right? Okay. The godly soul agenda is that God, being God is absolute, the person's life should be absolutely all about God, right? Well, what if your life is not all about God? Then what has happened to the godly soul? That's right, right? And let's go a little bit deeper, right? If, 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 to be subjugated, right, means one has dominated the other, right? So if there's room for God in my life, but that room is being dictated by something else, then what has happened to my godly soul? It's not pure. It's not pure, but it's more than just not pure. It's being... It's really being subjugated. In other words, my godly soul is saying it should all be about God. If in my life there could be a lot of God, a little God, tremendous devotion to God, minor interest in God, it doesn't matter. But if at the end of the day that is being, um, that is being defined by some other consideration, there's some other parameter. But that can't might... you just look at it the other way? No. Flip it? No. That God... Godly soul is expressing godliness in the world. That's a Jewish thing. And the animal soul is like trying to obstruct it, so it's not. It's, it's, but it's succeeded. Because it, godly soul has to be completely. That's right, because the godly because 100%. because the godly soul is is, is godly, and God doesn't have parts and degrees, and God is not like a hobby, and God is not an interest, and God is not a uh, a hobby, and God is not God is the end all and be all. And when God is not the end all and be all in my life, then my godly soul has been subjugated. So there's a huge asymmetry here. If, in order for my animal soul to be subjugated, there can't be any experience of anything ungodly. But in order for my godly soul to be subjugated, all I need is that there's something else that takes priority in some way, in some context, over God in some sense in my life. And that, the, the, in other words, the minute God becomes priority number two, in my life, and we're going to talk about the, the, the degrees of that and how that that's can be very, very, very subtle. The godly soul has been subjugated. The godly soul has, is not living what it wants to do. It is deferring to this other thing. And, and so the animal soul has succeeded in really obstructing the godly soul and subduing it. And the thing is, there's a lot of room for the godly soul to express itself in that. Right? It doesn't necessarily mean that the person is a big sinner. So they're a Russia then? Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. Because what has happened is God is not the ultimate thing in that person's life. And now let's ask the question what could I use to check to see whether God is the ultimate thing in my life? Well, that's obvious, but 
What? If you sin. Yeah, if you sin. Because if you sin, clearly there's something that takes precedence over God to you, right? But people who never sin can also not be only about God. Well, that depends why they don't sin. It depends why you haven't sinned. Give me an example of a person who hasn't sinned. Like, give me an example. Okay. You have to be an active part. You have to be an active involving God to be a tzaddik. I, uh, this is very important. I, this is two things. Number one, remember I said you, it, there's not going to be only two choices, right? There's not, it's not only that you could be a tzaddik or a rasha. Okay? There's going to be room for it. But, but, the, the, but, but let's just focus on the rasha. If I don't sin... It really depends why I'm not sinning. If I'm not sinning, if I never sin, because, I'll give you an example of someone who's never sinned. So sinning only starts when you become obligated to mitzvahs. So how old is that? 12 or 13, right? So my son just became bar mitzvah. So um, the question like sunset, is the, day, is the day start at sunset or when the three stars come out? So uh, I was outside with my son outside of 770 and we met my wife and I said, no, you can, you know, we're not sure if he's obligated to mitzvahs yet because it was after sunset before three stars came out. Okay, so, but you take like your average bar mitzvah boy or, or bas mitzvah girl, right? And the day right before, the, 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 that day where, where the sun sets, right? So the sun set, okay, you start counting. One second, two seconds, three seconds. I haven't sinned yet. Like how long does it take before the first sin? <laughs> Takes like a good 15, 20 minutes before the first sin, right? <laughs> What? I mean, there's a lot of sins you can do, right? Okay. Um, so during those 15, 20 minutes, why haven't they sinned? They didn't get to it yet. They didn't get to it yet. <laughs> okay, right? So and so the, the, the Rebbe in his commentary on Tanya says that although the altar doesn't explicitly mention it, if you think about the idea as he's going to explain it, if a sin tells you that you're a Russia, the lack of sin does not tell you that you're not a Russia. Because the question you have to investigate is the lack of the sin something that in principle is or just out of technicality. I haven't sinned because I haven't gotten around to it yet. I, I'm not in the mood to sin right now. The sin I would do isn't available, right? Then, then, and then I am in fact a Russia. I just don't have the symptoms to prove it yet. Right? This, is a, this is a thing right? We, we know about any kind of a test, is that if you're testing something by its, by its symptoms and manifestation, an absence of the manifestation does not prove the absence of the thing, right? Just because you test negative for a disease does not mean, you're not, does not mean that you're not infected. Just because you're not presenting symptoms doesn't mean that you're not infected, right? That's exciting. Right? As evidenced by my wife, who tested negative twice and then positive again, right? Assuming that it's not a false positive, right? Um, so, sinning would tell you that you're a Russia. Not sinning, you have to ask the serious question, is the not sinning because I, I could never sin? Or the not sinning is because I haven't gotten around to the sin, or the sin I would do isn't available, or I'm not in the mood to sin right now, but I will be some other time, right? Or something like that. And so that person would be a Russia in, in 
in their core, even though there would be no manifestation, no necessarily concrete evidence of being a Russian. But since now, the, the other thing is like this. Um, sinning is incredibly easy. I mean, there's big sins like, you know, driving on Shabbos and like eating non-kosher food, right? You know, eating chametz on Pesach and stuff like that. But there are also like so-called small sins. What are some of these small sins? Shonhara. What? Lashonhara. Speaking ill of others. What are it's small. The real reason when we were saying so small and large always have to put it in the frame of reference. Here, the way we relate to them. Big sins, we, big sins, people have very, generally have very strong inhibitions against them, therefore they don't do. It takes a lot for a person who has a sort of self-identity as a religious Jew to drive on Shabbos. Go through a lot of psychological barriers to get to that point. It's about the accessibility of it, like how easy it is. How easy it is, how easy it is both in practice, objectively, and also in, in the psychological experience, subjectively. So Lashon Haru would be, it's very easy to, there's, there's not, they're not hard to do, it's very accessible, and people are very inclined to do it. They don't feel very bad about doing it, and so people do it all the time. What other are some sins? Well, if you're a man, there's the one called neglecting Torah study, which means any opportunity you could have been studying Torah and you choose to do something else is considered a sin. So basically all Jewish men are, for the most part, sinning. Okay, who what else? Forgetting to bench would be a sin. Like, 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 you know, that's a, that's a, but let's, let's, let's do intentional things. Things that, things that we, 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 we do, even though we know that they're wrong, we know we're doing them, we know that they're wrong, we still do them. So forgetting to bench, maybe not. But then what happens when you, I'm going to ruin some people's lives now, but what if you forgot to bench and you remember, what do you have to do? Well, before you bench, you remember like after a half hour, an hour, what do you have to do? Go back, Go back to where you were and bench there. Even if it's a, even if it's a benching that you don't have to go back and sit. No, back. no, I'm talking the ones that you do have to go back. So the person forgot to bench, they remember two hours later, and now they're not where they were, and it's really inconvenient to go back and bench there. And it's like, eh, it's good enough that I bench here. <laughs> That's us then also. What? Not necessarily. That gets into a lot of technicalities. Okay. What are some other things? How about honoring our parents? Now, that one's a very hard one to keep. You're not allowed to, you're not allowed to agree with your parents to their face. Agree. 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 What? You're not allowed to agree with your parents. Yes, unless they unless it's clear they want your opinion. So if your parent says, "I think the president is like a really pick your political thing, good or bad," and you say, "I agree, mom," or "I agree, dad," you just violated the myths of honoring your parents because honor your parents means that when they voice their opinion, you're not entitled to an opinion. Yes, that's the, says the code of Jewish law. Now, if they want your opinion, that's different. Right? It's like, like, an, like if, a, if a commanding officer in the army says something, the junior officer doesn't say, and I concur. Like, who asked you? Like, who asked you to concur? Right? And like, that's a hard thing to do, especially in the modern world where we all feel entitled to opinion about everything, right? Um, when you wash your hands for bread and your hands are still wet and then you touch someone else's hands who haven't washed, you know what you have to do? 
again. Dry your hands and go wash again. Now that you know what? You're in, someone comes in and like I was sitting with and we were having. Uh, yeah. My father has a custom; he doesn't shake hands in the middle of a meal. Like we were sitting and having um, uh, the suda for the bar mitzvah, and one, someone came in to say Mazel Tov, and he went over to my father, who's the grandfather of my wife, and we say Mazel Tov, and my father's like, I don't touch my like, I don't know if your hands are wet. They're not wet. If you do want, like, eh, I have to wash. I don't. Don't get into it. Once I wash my hands, I don't touch anybody's. People shake hands in the middle of a meal. Now. Yeah, once, once you've washed your hands, if you touch someone else's hands, and one of your hands were wet, and they didn't wash their hands properly, or they didn't wash their hands at all, you're under zero washing. Now, once you know that, think about how many times, like, or you touch your shoe in the middle of a meal. There's a lot of little things that, like, it's, right? Um, letting your mind wander when you dive, and you could focus, but, you know, we just sometimes let our mind wander. What's that? Now our mind waters, and then we realize and come back, right? You realize, you're like, it's so hard. Let me give myself a freebie today. Just like say the words and let my mind do what it wants to, right? There's so many people do sins all the time. Small ones. Ones that don't get you thrown out of the Orthodox community, but they're still sins. So what does that say about us? As much as God is a really important part of our life, it's secondary to some other considerations. So our godly soul clearly has been subjugated. Which clearly means we do not, what? What are we lacking in? Love, love of God. Wow. It's not the animal soul is so strong, it's the love of God is not enough to make God the top priority. Yeah. So, is it a, could it be a moment to moment thing, or is it? Well, we're gonna learn chapter 11, and chapter 11 talks about it much more as a state of being. So it's not moment to moment, but it's not your whole life. Think about the differences of stages of development, like childhood, teenagehood, adulthood, right? Different stages of adulthood. So you ask yourself, like, overall, the way I live my life. Right? And that's what we're going to see. And, and within that, there's going to be ranges of that. So that's the... And so the subjugation looks very different because when the animal soul is subjugated, you don't feel the animal soul at all. When the godly soul is subjugated, you could feel it a lot. It's just... It's truth has been denied. It's truth is that everything is all about God. God is the ultimate. God is the absolute. And God in this person's life is not that. And the, and the most concrete evidence of that is that there are situations where God's will is disregarded in favor of something. And it doesn't matter what the something is. And that's the essence of sin. Good? Good. One you. last thing. Does sin make you a Russia? It's proof that you're the proof. What makes the person a Russia is a lack of love. love. All right.